All right, hello and welcome to the Earthside Birth Podcast. I'm Sarah Mori, one of the co-owners of Earthside Birth here in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And with me today is Kim Wendells, our certified nurse midwife. And today we thought we'd talk a little bit about how water can help during birth and how a water birth can be a great option for people choosing out-of-hospital birth. How's it going today, Kim? Today's great. It's warmer out, so I feel like always right with the world. Yes. <laughs> we had a little bit of um, a worry of our pipes freezing at the birth center this weekend, but got that thought out and we're good to go so we don't have to have any cold births on the prairie <laughs> anytime soon. Well, warm water works for a lot of things, apparently. <laughs> So the last time we podcast, we did a lot on pain, pain management, you know, people choosing a community birth often ask like, okay, we kind of view hospital versus community birth as like pain relief or no pain relief. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of in between. So we talked a lot about that and we talked a bit about water birth, but let's talk about how that can be helpful in pain relief during labor. So there's a lot about water birth in the literature and it just basically says that it's safe. That's the one thing that people worry about because they hear from other, they hear other opinions that it's just not safe. And Europe uses water birth quite a bit. Um, there's even this, uh, oh gosh, I'm gonna not remember, Barbara Harper and International Wild Birth, International Water Birth compendium I think is what it's called and there's lots of literature that says that it's totally safe and that there's no problem with water birth and that the recommendation is to use water birth in that last stage of labor mm -hmm. that second stage that active stage or the transition stage from 8 to 10 centimeters when it's hurting the most when you feel that you've gone too far and that mm -hmm. maybe you're having more trouble and what the literature says is that you get 60% pain relief and if you compare to like fentanyl or epidural, epidural you get about 90 to 95% pain relief and fentanyl usually in that hour time frame most people would say next to nothing. It's yeah. like <laughs> spitting on you basically. <laughs> um, so comparable I think. And the reason why you save it to the end is just that you get the biggest bang for the pain relief buck, right? And so that's the recommendation. So that generally that's the reason why we say showers before then. Um, you don't want to slow things down, showers, heat, doing that way. But using um, early on in labor is what I'm trying to say. And then using immersion mm -hmm. in that last part of labor. Yeah, so typically if you're not in good, hard, active labor, warm water relaxes your body enough to slow labor down, which can be used as a tool, but we just want to use it the right way. So say you're headed into early labor and it's late evening and you want to try to get some rest, hopping in your own tub, relaxing it might slow down contractions enough to get some rest out of it. Mm -hmm. If you were to come into a birth center or go into a hospital and they have tubs and you get into water before you're five, six centimeters, seven centimeters, it will slow things down and then everyone's like, 
You're not in labor. You're Let's not help in labor. you. <laughs> Let's give you something. Yes. Yeah. And then, in like Kim said, active to transition. You're in hard enough labor that it it's a better coping mechanism. You release hormones enough to help you relax enough to get your mind out of the way so that your body can do its work. So kind of always using that as a tool, I guess, is a big thing. It's interesting that the shower, talk more about like shower versus immersion, like what the research says about. Well, shower generally, you know, you can direct the heat to like your back or your stomach, Mm. but it's not full immersion. Um, and generally tub recommendation, temperature recommendation is around 102 and with immersion, it's really hard to, you can certainly have a shower that's too hot, but you're not going to get that kind of full body, 102 temperature in a shower. Right. And that's what seems to make the difference. The full immersion of the body, the lower half in particular, in that kind of temperature. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of great times when women are in transition and they're really starting to lose the ability to cope and they get into water and it's just like flipping a switch. They start coping again and baby comes out pretty quickly after that. There is some literature that also speaks to about the fact that when you're immersed that you're also buoyant and pressure, Mm -hmm. intra-abdominal pressure, all of that's relieved to a certain extent. And that's why you have such good pain relief when you're immersed in okay, water. Okay, interesting. The other great thing about, you know, there's there's the shower, there's a regular bathtub, not super comfortable in labor because you can't really get in the water. Um, I remember trying that with my first in the hospital. I was like, I lasted about five minutes. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm not comfortable here. And then a big full birth tub. And the other benefit, aside from full immersion into warm water, with, which is a, a bigger pain relief, is that then you can be still moving That's and upright, squatting, hands and knees, leaning on the sides of the tub. So you're getting another benefit of being able to be upright, still using gravity and moving around where even squatting in a tub is more comfortable than you trying to squat. Well, it's more like your ankles are in water than if it's the tub that I have, like a bio. If you have a deep one, that's totally different, but not too many people have that. Well, maybe these days, but I certainly don't have that. Um, So So it's easier to squat in a full birth tub than like just on the floor. That's correct. Your body's going to handle it better. Well, you're more buoyant, less pain. Um, But there's more than just one way to be in a tub. Side, you can be side lying in a tub, you can be on your back, and it, that being on your back in a tub feels different than being on a bed and on your back. Right. You're buoyant, you're semi reclined, and that feels good. And it works when you're in a tub, whereas it doesn't work very well when you're on a bed. Right. So, a lot of hospitals and just kind of the, the general public have this fear around the actual birth of a baby. Immerse, and I've even worked with home birth midwives who are like, well, I'll let you labor in the tub, but I really don't want to catch a baby. So what are the benefits of, you know, you can just labor in the tub, but you can also give birth in water, mm-hmm. which is a really great, it's amazing to watch. It's amazing. <laughs> we just had one the other day. That was absolutely beautiful. So there's risk benefits and alternatives. 
Um, some of the literature talks about the fact that, and let's talk about the risks of delivering in a tub. Three of them in particular that people worry about, including me. Avulsion of the cord because it's difficult to feel how long that cord is. And the number one thing that mamas want to do the minute that a baby is delivered mm. is to pull their baby absolutely up to their chest, to their breasts. Right. And sometimes that cord is just not long enough. So we have to be very mindful okay. of how long that cord is. The second one is shoulder dystocia. And it's because you're in a tub and I'm not in the tub with you as the provider that oftentimes we worry about that. But what, when you take education to learn how to do water birth, what they tell you is to talk about a rider position, one knee up, one knee down, gas can maneuver, turning a client to their hands and knees, and you create bigger space for a baby to move through. A baby generally head out and then shoulders out, so two contractions. In a hospital, generally, we're not prepared to wait that long, mm -hmm. but certainly learning how to do this, I've become more patient, and just knowing that that's how this works when you're in a tub helps you to feel more patient and feel that you're doing what needs to happen and being patient and allowing your baby to do those cardinal movements so they will fit. Right. And then the third one is making sure that your baby delivers in water. What tends to want to, ha what a client, a woman who's delivering tends to want to do when their baby's coming out is to lift their bottom out of mm. the water. So just talking about these things, having a language that you're speaking with the people that want to deliver when in water. If I touch your bottom, that's just telling you to drop your bottom a little bit. Your baby um, has to deliver in water. They have a dive reflex. They've come out of water into water, they won't breathe until they're brought up out of water. But if you're out of water and then in water and your baby delivers out of water, <laughs> that's called drowning. Right. So we have to be very, very conscious of that. And But you don't have to be worried about it. We just have to have the depth of the water at a certain level and talk about this. And so that it doesn't feel like these things are emergencies but that it just feels normal. Mm -hmm. When you walk across the street, we look for cars and we don't think about it twice. When you're driving, you're gonna look left and you're gonna look right and we don't think about it twice. Why would this be any different? Right, <laughs> yeah. I think that's one of the big questions. Someone even just asked me yesterday, well, how can a baby be born underwater? But it's, like you said, going from water to water. So they, the mechanism to force them to start breathing is hitting air. Hitting air or? and pressure change. So as a baby comes through the vagina, the release of pressure off of their chest is how they take a breath. They don't take a breath because they know to take a breath. It's that pressure gradient change. Mm -hmm. In water, they don't have that pressure gradient okay. until they're pulled out of water. That's called a dive reflex. And that's normal. Mm -hmm. How long do you think a baby could be underwater before... I think as long as you're attached to the cord and getting oxygen and blood supply, I think it, um, do I want to try it? No, I, I don't. Just, um, it just made me like, oh. But as long as they're it. connected to the cord, they're getting oxygen, they're getting blood supply. The other day when we did that delivery, there was no emergency to this. Um, all I said to the mama, your baby's out, reach down and grab your baby. That was probably 30 seconds. Yeah. And the mom goes, what? 
and looks down and sees her baby and pulls <laughs> her baby up to her chest. It was beautiful. But there was no emergency. It was, you know, there we had time and I knew we had time. And the minute that the baby came out, the baby started to breathe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So a lot of fear around water birth, too, is then, like, it's harder to measure blood loss, placentas, all that. How do you deal with that kind of thing? Well, you know, we've done some mentoring here with me. I also do a lot of homework whenever I'm changing something. Um, changing something up or learning something new or trying to do something new and there's two recommendations one is not to deliver the placenta in water or um, if you can't see through the water anymore you probably need to get somebody out and you have um, too much blood supply so it's about how much blood you're estimating the client has lost mm -hmm. in water um, and when I'm using, and I'm just equating different things of what I do, I use a piece of paper to estimate whether or not a client has ruptured their membranes. It's called litmus paper, or, um, and it turns a really dark blue. Mm -hmm. So, and it does that with urine too, and you, what you're trying to figure out is whether or not you have a positive or a negative. This is no different than that. If I can see through the water and I can see the client's feet, I can see the perineum, then I don't have much bleeding. If I can't see through the water, then I have too much right. and we have to get out. So it's kind of just a skill of like what it looks like. Just even out of water, you, you learn it's to estimate blood loss. And That's correct. There, and midwives, physicians are very, very you know, I go by my gut a lot. Mm -hmm. I've done this, you know, since, I don't know, since I'm 17 years old. And the reality is, is that in the beginning, your gut goes off at the littlest thing. Mm -hmm. And now my gut says things to me when there's an accumulation of things. And if I'm feeling worried or nervous, we're just going to do it differently. And it's not that I'm feeling that it's an emergency. It's just that you don't want to get to that place. So and you say this to me all, being proactive rather than reactive, that's the key. Right. If I'm worried, we should do it differently. Yeah, so barring every, you know, everything's normal, mama has the baby, she can hang out in the water as long as possible. One of my favorite things that you learn from another midwife is getting a floating placenta bowl. Yeah. <laughs> so you can deliver the placenta in the water. Okay. And then whenever mom's ready to get out, we help her lift out and get onto the bed. Yep. And we are, you know, the water's still warm. We want to maintain that warmth just for baby as well as mom. Um, but we also, once someone gets out, we are warming up towels and things for mom. Um, the thing that I noticed this last time when normally a mom starts to have those, um, I've just done a lot of those work shakes. shakes. Yeah. This mom didn't do that, which oh, and yeah, that's she true. even talked about that saying I didn't have that this time and that was grand. So it might be about the heat of the tub, it might be about the fact that it doesn't feel emergent or like there's an emergency, um, but certainly that was something that I noted mm -hmm. when we, and so did the client. Yeah, that's an interesting point too with the whole fact of heat. I worked with a midwife who did a, studied a lot of Chinese medicine and how they're very adamant that that room is very warm yes. for the mom because 
cold actually increases postpartum hemorrhage. And typically hospitals are quite chilly, especially delivery rooms, of course, because we're all trying to keep comfortable, but it does affect the mom's bleeding and Mm -hmm. probably shakes too. Like I remember those shakes and like nothing will warm me up, Mm -hmm. but warm fluids, a warm room and warm water sounds like might, might do the trick. So, um, well, let's talk a little bit since this podcast is aimed mostly at our clients, the birth pool situation now and kind of what we have to be wary of. I know a lot of our clients are looking for the water birth experience. Mm -hmm. And so let's just talk a little bit about what to prepare for and what it might look like. And we've, we're laughing because we've had a few water births now and troubleshooting, setting up the pool, water temperatures, you know, we're working with a water heater at some point, you know, birth centers might have an on-demand heater, which might look different, but it still does take quite a bit of time to fill. Our pool is about 120 gallons of water. So currently we're using, um, what is it? A Labacine. Labacine. So we started out with a maxi, <laughs> which was maxi more. We couldn't we fill that tub enough. We might as well start with the regular swimming pool. It was very big. Correct. Like, well, this isn't going to work. So we had a regular lava scene pro tub that's just an inflatable tub. So the nice thing is the walls are soft, but like pretty sturdy. So mm-hmm. you can lean over them. Comes with handles. Yep. Um, we do have to put, you always put a plastic liner on it. Um, so just dealing with that, but so far it doesn't feel too I, Nobody's had difficulties with it or complained about it. I've noticed, you know, it seems to be a little clingy at times, but my clients haven't said anything about it. Um, and that we have to change the water out at the six hour mark. So trying to kind of make sure that we're utilizing you know, that we're being proactive about filling the tub, but that we're also doing it in a timely way that's going to serve the client. And it's a balancing act. So you're trying to figure that out, you know, and then at six hours, we have to change it, change the liner, and that's to decrease the chance of infection. And that's the recommendation by AABC. So, and with the last client, after we did that, we got her back in, but Sometimes I think that when you have to get them out and then get them back in, that you might not get the same benefit. Mm. So just, you know, the scheduling of it has been a learning curve. It has. And ideally, uh, I think it's going to be a mixture of art and science. Because ideally, our clients are coming into the birth center already in active labor. So technically, almost to the point where they couldn't get in, they can get in water. We're estimating it takes about an hour, hour and a half to fill the pool. So kind of timing it with contractions even. A recommendation is about the time a client's three to four minutes apart, a good minute long. That's a good time to start filling the tub. By the time it's full and ready, then we're hoping to be toward transition where it can really be useful. So you kind of mentioned too, like the benefits of getting back in I've read a lot of research, so 
around the two-hour mark is when warm water kind of flips the switch on you and starts relaxing you enough to slow labor down. So mm-hmm. you also want to keep in mind that phenomenon. You know, we all want to be like, I'm just going to dive into this warm water and chill for the rest of my labor, but it doesn't quite work like that. Yeah. And that that's okay that you to keep moving, to keep changing positions, that those are also forms of pain relief. Getting in and out of the tub is an okay thing. Um, And to keep moving Mm -hmm. is how you manage when you're in a community birth setting. And that, if that's not a possibility, then we need to rethink what it is that Mm -hmm. we're doing. Yeah, so moving while you're in the tub can help you keep in active labor. I have seen times when we get in the tub even when you're in good hard labor and it starts slowing things down and we have to get out, we might be able to save it. But then again, the two hour mark is just like any other position. Like after a certain time, we have to try something different, but we can always come back to it too. So even if it's a shower, it doesn't mean, well, we checked that off the list. Well, the shower worked at six centimeters. Maybe it's going to work again at nine. Same thing with the birth pool. Well, this is the thing that I want everybody to hear us say. I wish I had omnipotent powers and I knew exactly how what was going to work for every single person that walked through the doors. But it's it's a new thing with every single mm-hmm. person. And that's what keeps me coming back to, and wanting to do this. Of course, it would be easier for everybody you know, boom, 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 are all the same. Mm -hmm. But that's not how this works. That's not how babies work. That's not how pelvis works. That's not how labor works. And the reality is that, yes, we have thought processes about when a baby's, you know, either in the inlet or mid-pelvis or in the outlet, what might be helpful. Or when you're in active labor and transition, what might be helpful. But... um, the deal of it is is that your body's going to tell us the story and we just have mm-hmm. to listen and we have to have to be open to that process we as birth workers have to be open to that process and the mom the family have to be open to that process as well yeah i think that's a great point of you also don't want to go in being like well i'm going to have a water birth so i don't have to think of other coping <laughs> mechanisms because it might not be something that's working. Mm-hmm. It might be slowing your labor down. You might get to the two hour mark and have to try something different. And vice versa, women who, you know, I don't really want a water birth might change their mind. Like that sounds amazing right now. And so water birth is a tool in our it's toolkit, tool. but it's not going to be the end all be all and just using it correctly to maximize the benefit of it. But let's talk about an even um, bigger thing that I want want to equate, and they're the same, but we don't think of them as the same. We think that labor is just going to happen and that it's magical and that we don't have to troubleshoot it. Mm. We also think that maybe parenting is that way. That, you know, once I have, you know, that first year down that, you know, I I got this. Mm. But what you find out the first time that you're a parent is that every year it changes and that every year that you have to change. And that's for the next 30 years of your life. You have to be open to that. 
why would labor be any different? Mm. And if an I equate, that labor is that piece where you start to understand that you're more powerful than you think you are, that you have the capability to do these things, and it's the doorway to parenting. Mm. So what I'm trying to say is that pregnancy, birth, parenting, they're all things that we have to be open to, the process. And that when we start to think that we don't need to be open to it, that it's probably not going to go the way that we want it to. That's a great analogy. <laughs> the labor is the beginning of your parenting. It truly is. Pain in the ass. It truly is. I'm just kidding. I love my five children, but... It's a process. It's a process. Being a parent is a process. <laughs> There's one right now. She's looking at me with a... I'm going to sleep with one I open tonight. Um, yeah, so process and... And figuring out what tool works in the moment and being open to those changes. And sometimes you don't end up actually giving birth in the water. You end up wanting to get out, especially first-time moms. Sometimes that trigger ejection reflex is harder to feel, so you need to get out, do something different, that kind of thing. And that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. But being open to the process. And... You know, we also equate this, and I say it all the time, that this is a marathon, and that that labor is a marathon, mm-hmm. and that at some time or another, you're going to say, I can't do this anymore. Right. But what generally happens at that point is that you double down, and we come up with more ways to help you to get to the end, and you come up with more ways to help you to get to the end. You recognize that you're at that point where you can say, I don't want to do this, or I can do this. Mm -hmm. And that's also parenting. Um, And I'm saying this over and over, that there are days, you know, that I remember specifically, what was I thinking? But that every time you double down and say, but for the love of. And that's what labor and birth is all about. Yeah, I like that you said that. I think a lot of us go into labor thinking like, well, maybe it won't be as as bad as they're saying or maybe I'll get lucky or I'll have a fast labor which is you know just as funny but um thinking of it like the marathon analogy I always use of you will hit a wall and it's not about there's no marathoner that's like no that's just you know I kind of just breeze through it it's like there will be that time and it's typically at the 20 mile mark in a 26 Mm -hmm. mile marathon so in labor it's transition seven, eight centimeters, and you're going to start saying that. So instead of thinking, well, maybe it won't be that bad or I won't hit that wall, it's I will hit that wall and what will keep me going. And it's got to be internal. Like we were just talking before the podcast of, if I continue with the marathon analogy, I've done a lot of endurance races. Mm -hmm. And when I try to rely on like my support team, and they're like, you can do it. That's when I'm like, screw you, I can't. Mm-hmm. But it's got to come from within me yeah. that I've decided. And it is a lot of mind over matter because the second I've decided that, I've taken away all my other outs, I That's guess. Right. Including, stop yeah. talking to me. I don't want to hear your encouragement right now. Yeah. Sometimes it is true that we have to transfer, but that's a pretty small percentage. But the reality is, is that as long as you continue to dilate, as long as you continue to change, as long as your baby continues to descend, 
um, that having an out-of-hospital birth is possible. And generally, you're going to know that. Mm -hmm. um, it does take time to have babies. Um, everybody is different. No two people are the same. On average, a primate, to every two hours, you should change your cervix. On average, a multip, every hour, you should change mm -hmm. your cervix. But we're not checking you that often. I'm going by your signs and symptoms and what you're telling me as your pain increasing. And then occasionally we check to see if that kind of correlates. So there's a method to our madness, but oftentimes it doesn't feel fast enough. Right. What I also want you to hear me say is that anybody can do one contraction one hour at a time. Nobody can do I need to run for six more hours. So you have to stay in the moment and mm -hmm. be mindful as much as you possibly can or do what serves you best. Maybe what I'm saying doesn't serve you. So what is going to serve you? And I need you to evaluate that for yourself. And I tell clients every day, what helps you with pain? What do you think is going to help you the most? I need you to communicate that with me so that I know what that looks mm -hmm. like for you. So this is a team, you are the head of the team, you the client, you the family, and we are your guides. I'm not your boss, I'm not your, of course I do this every day, but I need us to work together as a team. And we need to keep moving forward. To say I can't do it anymore, I'm gonna listen to that. To say that it's not possible, you telling me that, I'm going to listen to that. So the other thing that we've come up with is, is that if you tell me the watchword, and the watchword here at Earthside Birth is supercalifragilisticexpialidosis for everybody, because I'm not going to remember different ones. <laughs> if you say that watchword, then we're transferring. And you get to tell me that. Mm -hmm. And that's your out. But if you say it, I'm going to listen, mm -hmm. and we're going to go. And I think that would be a great topic for another day of also being mindful of hitting that brick wall, but also understanding what all that entails. Correct. And it's not necessarily a quick, no, magical switch that you want to have all that information going into to, to decide. It's a process, and you have to trust that it's doable. And I trust birth. I trust that your body will serve you until it tells me otherwise. And most of the time, it doesn't tell me otherwise. But I need you to know that it's possible, too. Mm -hmm. um, and that your body, your mind is capable of doing this. You have to know that before you come here. And that's why you're pregnant for 10 months and why you take classes and why there's a lot of work that we have to do to help your body to do this and why we talk so much and do so much education. Yeah. It makes a difference. For sure. Well, thanks for talking to me about water birth. If you guys have questions or topics that you want us to cover or more questions about water birth, feel free to hit us up on Facebook, email, or text us and we will talk to you again next week. Thanks so much.